on that note, uh, today uh, we're not going to be in Genesis. Uh, I don't know how long or short this is going to be, but it's something a little different. Um, I want to share with you a little bit uh, what's been going on with us, uh, but also um, something the Lord's kind of been speaking to me about lately. And I, this verse was really on my heart yesterday when I was uh, praying and considering, you know, where to be at um, today, uh, just because I've been considering it all week, but with work and everything, it was kind of a, a blur. Uh, but when we do get into the scripture, we're going to be in 2 Peter 1 today, 2 Peter 1. And the title of uh, the message, if you could call it that, would be uh, Your Calling and Election. And uh, I'm only standing up for ease of looking at my notes, and you guys, you know, I feel like this is one where I'd rather be sitting down. So pretend I'm sitting down. <laughs> um, I guess I could put this lower. But I sit all day. I should probably stand up for my health. <laughs> Uh, but really, um, you know, Lord, I just ask that today these would be your words. God, you would speak through the circumstance and through um, just your word in our time together, God. And I ask that you would bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. But, you know, as you know, and we've probably talked about these things here and there, but uh, a few years ago, uh, when we were all in Calvary and things were different, Ashley and I, uh, heard the call of God to go to Maryland, and we went to Maryland, we did an exploratory trip, uh, Jacob was still in uh, Ashley's womb, and uh, now he's over there, looking like such a big boy, and I can't believe how much time has passed, sometimes I look at the pictures of them when they're little, I'm like, man, I want that time back, it was such a blur, and so, you know, I've been trying to keep my eyes on them more, but we were called there, and as we went down there, that's when things changed up here, when things happened up here. And I don't mean to call them to remembrance for heartache's sake, but for the sake that, you know, it affected us. Even though we were away, I mean, you guys probably know it, it affected us. That, that while we were down there and we believe God had called us to uh, do a work and, and hopefully plant a church, God had other plans. And, um, you know, we didn't know what to do. We, obviously, we came back up here for a season and then we're down there. But we couldn't escape. I couldn't escape this verse. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And I don't, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here for what it is or what's coming across, but while we were down there, I couldn't escape that. And so as we prayed, and this was uh, the fall after everything went on, we prayed, like, Lord, like, if you'd have us go back to New York, you know, would you please just wrap this up, you know, bring these people elsewhere. And... Over time, that happened, and I think if I didn't pray that prayer, I'd probably be more stuck in the sense of failure than I already was, and I really don't care what people think of me at this point, um, but I know what God thinks of me at this point. I know that I was faithful to what God had called me to do. You can call me crazy and say, no, you didn't, or whatever, and that's fine, um, but I know that God had us come back here for a season, and uh, with coming back up here, things were different. You know, we decided to come back. Finally, uh, you know, all the circumstances led to it, and um, we came back up here, and uh, I had talked to a few pastors, and, you know, I had opened doors to come back up here, and so we thought, okay, well, maybe this is the direction of the Lord. You know, we had been praying about other directions. We knew our season in Maryland was up. We were praying about continuing there. You know, Lord, is it just us wanting to go back? You know, do we continue in Maryland? And that was obviously not the case. You know, do we go somewhere else? And there were no open doors to go. Well, there was a couple open doors to go other places. But as we prayed about them, you know, I was invited to be a part of the church out there. Tony Schott invited me in Indiana. As we prayed about these things and other places, it just, it was clear that that wasn't where the Lord would have us in the season. So we came back to New York and things were different. Um, not only was uh, Middletown different, but, you know, the church was different. Uh, other churches, uh, the church we came from was different. It had grown, and I'm not saying right or wrong, but it was just different. It wasn't you know, what we had imagined it to be. You know, sometimes you go away and uh, you come back and you think things are going to be the same. You know, sometimes, I, don't, I never went to a high school reunion, but I imagine that sort of thing. You, you come back and you expect it to be the same old thing and it's different. Um, but as we came back, we noticed that things were different, that there were a lot more cults in the area. You know, not that we left and then all of a sudden cults moved in, but it was, it was very obvious that the spiritual atmosphere here was uh, a little different uh, than when we left. Um, and sad to say, you know, I, I don't mean to call it out, but I think it's, it's a right to call it out that there is a lot of division in this area among the body of Christ. And, and I know that that's not the heart of the Lord, and that's something that breaks our heart. And that was something that's been on our heart as we visited other churches in the area, tried to uh, make amends with friends and family in different areas, and really just trying to say, hey, you know, 
whatever's going on, we don't want any part of it, and we just want to uh, be blessed and bless everyone that, that we can come in contact with. And hopefully that was the case. I know that um, you know that God wants unity in this area, and I think that there is good unity. I'm not saying that's all bad, but I think that there, there's plenty of room. There's always room for more uh, unity. And again, I don't mean that to be unity with the Unitarian Universalists down the street who have all the weird banners outside their church, but really unity with the body of Christ, like you were sharing about uh, some of the things you guys are considering and, and doing in the next season of ministry that, uh, you know, would really be unity across church names and church boundaries. But as we were up here, we weren't really sure what to do as far as going to church and where to be a church. We, were in, we went back to Goshen for a season, but when God made it clear that that's not where he wanted us to be, uh, we said, okay, well then, what are we here for? What are we doing here? So we began to visit other churches and Again, we had open doors to fellowship at other places, and, you know, we felt welcome as, as much as you could. Um, you know, I wouldn't say anything that we were never made to feel not welcome or any reason not to go anywhere else. Um, but as we prayed about it and considered it, um, it just, it was clear that God did not want us, it just didn't feel like home. And it was clear that God would have something else for us. But as I prayed and I struggled through that, I was like, Lord, like, I've got a family, I've got kids, you know, we need to be in some place that's, that's steady and true and I just remember the Lord speaking to me uh, in prayer one morning as I was kind of crying out to him, like frustrated, like not at him, but just like, man, I'm sick of being crazy. I just remember the Lord say to me to be the church, to be the church. And we had been doing kind of the Bible study and fellowship on and off again. Um, you know, I'd kind of considered a few things, but that, that wasn't my goal for coming up here was to, you know, start something, you know, was to... Uh, you know, do this. It was really kind of come back up and get involved and be a part of a body that exists, you know, so to speak. And we're all the body, and I, I hate saying it that way. Um, you know, because at the same time, we knew that Montana was a real possibility and a real something, again, that was on our heart that we couldn't escape. And the more we prayed about it, the more it seemed, well, is this us or is this the Lord? And I hope that as I share these things with you, that something will resonate before you get to the scripture that God has plans and callings for each one of you and that he gives you desires on your heart and he brings things to mind or things that burden you about others or about yourself or about family or about the body. And he does that for a reason. He does that because you're his children, just like you might see a problem in your relationship or with your own kids or your own family and, and want to pray about it and mend it, so for the larger body as a whole and even for more than just uh, disruptive things, but also for new works and new ventures that uh, God puts things on your heart for a reason. And he puts it on your heart, not someone else's heart, for uh, a reason as well. Uh, because he's got um, things that he's gifted you with spiritually. And I don't mean physically. I mean spiritual gifts, not talents. That he's given to you uh, from salvation for a purpose. And we'll see that. That not everyone's Billy Graham because you're not Billy Graham. Only Billy Graham is Billy Graham. And that's the calling for Billy Graham. You've got a different call. You've got the call to be whoever you are. And that's just as great as whatever calls on someone else's life that you might think of. I know we hear that, but God means it. You know, so now that, uh, you know, we weren't sure what to do, and we just sensed, like, hey, let's do a study. Maybe we'll do it at night. And everyone's like, well, let's do it in the morning. Was, that was not my intent at the beginning because I didn't want it to come off in any sort of way. You know, it always has these weird implications when you hear someone doing something on a Sunday morning. And I didn't want it to come off, like, we came up here to cause more division or start something or we just wanted to do what God would have us do. And I believe that as we've been doing that, pursuing that, you know, you went out and asked your boss if we could meet here. You know, it's like we've all kind of come together for certain reasons and purposes. But, you know, with Montana, as we prayed about it, um, it became more and more clear that it wasn't just a desire of ours for a lifestyle of ours, that it was really God calling us to go out there. And that's something that I, I struggle with and even have felt hard with because, yeah, it sounds nice and it, on the surface it seems like something we'd want to do, but in the heart of it it's really, it's really been hitting home that it's hard because it means there's people that we may never see again. There's family that we're not going to be around. There's, you know, in the back of my heart, you know, it, it's living up here not too far from where I grew up. It's always like, oh, I wonder if I'm going to bump into one day so-and-so that I grew up with or high school or you know, and those things haven't happened all the time. Some of them have in different ways. Uh, but, you know, if we move and when God moves us, that those things are really out of the realm. So that's heartbreaking in a way. Or I'm driving up from Maryland going, 
this might be the last time I ever see this area or my kid, you know what I mean? And I don't mean to be fatalistic about it, but sincerely, with, if it moved that big, you don't know what the future holds. And, and I think about friends of ours who are missionaries in China, and I go, wow, like, I don't know how you move over there. <laughs> but they did it, and they do, and they come back. And, and so I, I know that we'll be back and visit one day. But again, you know, I mean, it's life-changing. But as it's coming to light, and as we've prayed about it, and God's confirmed it in a multitude of ways through scripture, through prayer, through other people, through travel, uh, through counsel, um, you know, we were prepared recently to lose my job, uh, the best job that I've ever had. I didn't tell my boss that, but this is the best job I've ever had. Like, yeah, I worked in an elevator company, I had more freedom, I technically made more money if you consider inflation and all this other stuff, but it just wasn't, this is the best job I've ever had. And, and I see how God had prepared me for those things. Years of a long commute, and now I work four and a half hours away from home, you know, but I get to work from home. But I didn't know what he was going to say. And I remember praying a couple months ago, um, you know, that I, just about it. And I knew that God was going to provide us and that, uh, and I'll get into it in a little bit. Um, I guess really I'll get there now. That when I went out to Montana, um, I was praying on the plane, like, God, like feeling kind of crazy. Like, what am I doing? Like, I'm on a plane. Like, yeah, that's cool. I want to do this. What am I really doing here? And like, Lord, like, if you're really calling us here and I'm not just being absolutely crazy, like, what is it you have for us spiritually? Because my wife and I agreed, you know, it's always kind of a joke before I got married, you know, are you sure you want this life? Are you sure you want this life? Because it was always about, we're going to live a life for Jesus. And we're not going to do it perfectly. We definitely haven't done that. But we want the core focus of our life to be a spiritual call. If we move somewhere, we want it to be for a spiritual reason, to fulfill a spiritual purpose. And not one that we conjure up, but one that God has called us to. That's why I went to Maryland. That's why we came back. That's why I stayed in New York years ago when I felt like leaving. Um, it's why I stayed at certain jobs or, or not. It's because I knew that God had something for me. But as I was on that plane and coming into Missoula in the middle, on a red eye flight, it was, I don't know what time it was. It was one o'clock there, probably three o'clock for me. But it smelled of all the smoke. Uh, God gave me Romans ten, uh, reminded me of. Um, let me read it real quick. And uh, forgive me if I shared this with you before, but. I want to get this all out as we get into the message, that we were on the same page. It says, Romans 10, verse, uh, we'll start in 13. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And as we were coming in, the Holy Spirit reminded me of this area of scripture. And he said to me, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. You know, God assured me that he was going to send us, and that the reason for us going out there was to preach the gospel. And you think, oh, it's Montana. People know Jesus. You know, I'm out there. You know, you ask how many people are out there. There are churches everywhere. There's churches left and right, even in a small town of 5,000 people. I remember uh, talking with Pastor Dale of uh, the Bitterroot Valley Calvary Chapel. And we're in the car, we're coming back from the airport, and he was kind enough to pick me up and show me around, and really just, it was really a blessing. And he said to me, well, I asked him, you know, what's, what's the strange doctrine out here? And I share with him about New York, come back, all the cults, and just trying to buy Doritos and being accosted by a cult and having to get a spiritual discussion. But he said to me, um, well, there's not so much weird doctrine. He's like, well, there's the Mormons, and there's the two sect of Mormons, and, you know, they have their own thing. But other than that, there's just no doctrine. There's a lot of churches. But they don't really teach the word of God. You know, uh, there's a, a church that get, this young pastor gets all the acclaim and has all these satellite churches, uh, kind of Missoula and north of there, I guess. And it's just like, it's just, it's just fake. He said, I remember having a, a friend that I guess took acting classes or whatever, and like this guy is like by the book doing all these things. And uh, whatever, God can use him. I'm glad the gospel's going out. People are hearing the gospel. I'm not negating that. But that there's really a famine, you know, he's like, he would share about other churches in the area, and well, you know, yeah, there's Christians, but there's not this, like, depth of the word of God there, and that there really is um, a need. And for me, that was like, wow, God, you just totally confirmed, you know, that there is a need for the gospel out here. Like, how many people are there? There's already churches. Why do I need to go do something? Like, you know, and God made it clear that that was the case. And as we were out there, God spoke to me other things and, and confirmed things. Um, like I said, we were, we were prepared to lose the job and, uh, you know, to lay that down. And it's not 100% yet, but I talked to my boss and he was 
all for it. He was very encouraging. He's like, I don't care if you work in India. I just wouldn't want to call you two in the morning. But like, sincerely, he was excited for us. And you know, I prayed for an opportunity to talk with him, to share some things with him. And uh, he's a great guy. He's, he's open to the gospel. But he, first thing, we, we set up this meeting because we've been so busy just to hang out. And he like, shows me his phone, and it's like 2 Timothy. You know, about the verse about itching ears and people heap it up. He's like, someone said, you know, my friend's wife sent this to me. And we just had this conversation. And it was just great. We talked about a lot of things. But, you know, I could see that um, you know, it was just good that God set up. Now, I don't know what the CEO is going to say yet. We have to kind of package it for him and see what he'll say soon. But so far, so good. But Ashley and I were really kind of ready to say, okay, well, they're going to say no. And what are we going to do? But we know God is going to get us out there. And that still may be the case. Uh, but if this would be God setting us out there, you know, God used ravens to feed Elijah, and I think what better way than to have the world finance a spiritual mission? Um, but we'll see what God does. Um, but with that, you know, we'll probably be leaving in a few months. Um, you know, we, we don't want to delay on his calling. Oh, it's winter. Are you really going to go in winter? Well, yeah, if that's what God has for us, I don't want to delay for, for things of that nature, unless, you know, we absolutely have to for a reason I'm not going to be crazy, but I don't want to delay. But then what about this? What about this? Is this just us hanging out as a Bible study? You know, if you come to hang out with us, fantastic. I love it. I come to hang out with you guys too. But I know that God has something greater for us. God wouldn't orchestrate this and continue to lay it on our hearts and have us get together and do this over and over if it wasn't for a reason. This is the last thing on earth I want to do. I want to get away and be quiet and not do anything. I want to do it at night or in the week. And God kept orchestrating it and moving it to this. But I believe there's a purpose for this. I don't know what the long-term thing is. I'm not, you know, the all-seeing eye of Sauron or whatever, but I know that God wants us to be the church. And the more that we be the church here, it doesn't have to, it's not about numbers, you know, it's about Jesus, and I believe we meet here for that. But this area needs Jesus. This area has a lot of cults. I've even heard that Calvary is moving now, and I've already heard from people that they may not go there anymore. Now, I'm not saying that they need to come to something like this. God has something in store for them. But I'm saying God knows all these things, begins to work on our hearts, and all these other things begin to happen. And you go, God might have something else in store. God might be doing something here that's bigger than all of us. And, and really, when you, when you say that, and I hear that coming out of my mouth, I go, of course God is doing something greater than us. This isn't a waste of time. Even if it's just us, and we all go our separate ways. I know God will use it in us. I know I'm always going to remember it. I'm always blessed by it. That you guys allow me to share the word with you. We come together and we worship together. And hopefully meet the Lord in our time together. But with that, I want more. I want more from this life than just getting together. Than just waking up in the morning. Not tying my shoes. I just go downstairs. But I want more from life than just going to church and going to work maybe doing a little something elsewhere. Not there's anything wrong with that. But the older I get, and I'm not that old, I feel like I'm seeing the ideals that I always believed in and the scriptures that I'm starting to maybe maybe a little bit understand by the Spirit of God, seeing things in, in new ways. Man, I've got so much more to grow. I see them starting to come together. I'm seeing them starting to come together in faith in front of me and in my life. And I don't mean that like name it and claim that. I mean that like as I read the scriptures and I seek the Lord, I say, well, of course. Of course this is the way it should be. It's plain as day this is the way the church should be. It's obvious that when we come together and we spend time with the Lord and we step out in faith, as he's led us to, and I don't mean just step out like crazily the way you want to, but when you feel led by the Lord to do it, of course he's going to bless it. Of course he's going to do something with it. But with that... I think God does have a perfect will. I know he has a perfect will. And what did Jesus instruct us to pray? He said, God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I don't mean this as a trip. I just mean this as kind of something that's kind of rattled around in me lately is, well, if God has this will, and we're his people, and we're his body, we're supposed to carry out that will. If his will on earth is not getting done, is it because we're not seeking his will to be done? Is it because we're not asking for his will to be done? Is it because we're not willing for his will to be done? And I don't mean that on a knock on anyone here. I mean that as sincerely, like, God desires to do something here. God desires to move something here. But are we so caught up in getting our name on a building, 
or getting our afternoon the way we want it to look, that we miss out on what God really wants to do here. And now, bear with me, because, you know, to draw things in certain absolutes is kind of hard because God is bigger than us and, you know, we're stuck in time and all those things. But if God desires something to happen and it doesn't happen, does it mean that he desired it not to happen? Does he mean, does, or does it mean that maybe we just didn't get on board with it? And maybe he's going to do something in a different way. You know, like, don't you think that God wants everyone to be safe? Don't you think that God wants the church to be one? Don't you think that God wants to do a new work here and do a work here? Well, then why isn't it happening? Is it because God doesn't want it to happen? Or because we're in a war and we don't go to war? Is it because we're in a war and we don't pick our, up our arms? Is it because we're in a war and we don't pray that God would, would overcome? Um, this is for my, I'm saying this to myself as much as anyone else, you know, more than that. You know, it's like, how often do I not pray? How often do I not do what I know God has called me to do? But sincerely, I know God wants to do work here. I wouldn't have moved back here if I didn't think so. You know, maybe I would have, but, you know, I, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think God wanted to do something here. Um, and that's not that I'm doing something here, that we're doing this together because God's not using the church on the street. God's not doing something in the church over there or through these people or those people. It's because it's not enough. It's because there's a famine for the word of God. Because how many churches you go to and the word of God is not taught? Because he needs more people. It's like anytime you're in a war, you're going to send out more people, scouting and troops. And good, if there's a church in every corner, praise God. Let's put a church between every corner. And I don't mean that in the southern sense, but there's plenty of people out there. You know, and I think so much we get caught up in kingdom building where we say, no, 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 this is my area, brother. We're doing things over here. You do things over there. Whose kingdom is it? It's not mine. I don't want a name on this. If God does something with this someday, I hope that no one remembers me in a way. I hope that people don't even remember this. You think about how Calvary and Goshen started. It was a couple of policemen who got together and had a Bible study, and God brought a pastor up, and then it changed and grew, and now it is what it is. Because it's not about them. It's not about you and me, so to speak, at the end of the day. It's about Jesus. And if Jesus wants to do something, then why do we get in the way of him doing it? Because I think that we're the, only, we're the first line that gets in the way from him. That's why the enemy attacks the church. That's why the enemy attacks us. Because if we don't preach the gospel, no one else is. CNN certainly isn't. So the gospel's not going out. It's not because God doesn't want it to go out. And I don't mean that as a heavy trip. I mean that as sort of like, let's maybe let's get, twist our thinking a little bit into the right way and untwist it, so to speak. I don't know what time it started, so <laughs> you guys are in for it. I'll try and finish it. But then it doesn't need a name on the door. It doesn't need a business model. It just needs Jesus. It needs the way the Bible is. And if it ends up looking like it looks one day, then that's fine. But like we've talked about ad nauseum, I think, is how does God want it to look? Let's do it, and let's step back and say, let's do it step by step the way God would have it. Um, I want you guys, uh, the pastor I met with, my friend from... Uh, Baltimore area. I shared these two messages with me. They're short. They're 25 minutes of pop. I listened to them on the way home. I twisted Ashley's arm and got her to listen to them. <laughs> I was like, you got to listen to these messages. Not that they're going to change your life, but they've resonated with us in, um, in a lot of these things. Uh, it's Jim Simbola from Brooklyn Tabernacle. So if you go to Brooklyn Tabernacle, just Google Brooklyn Tabernacle. Go to the Media Center and go to Sermons. There's two of them. Um, and I would even listen to them in, in this order, the order that they're there. But uh, it's from two weeks ago. It's called Unstoppable. Unstoppable. And then the next one is Two Questions and an Answer. Two Questions and an Answer. So these two messages, will, it will take you less than 50 minutes. I encourage you to listen to them. It's Unstoppable and Two Questions and an Answer. Jim Simbola of Brooklyn Tabernacle. He spoke at the Calvary Pastor Conference a couple years ago. It was awesome. But again, this guy's not a Calvary guy. He's kind of definitely on the Pentecostal side. But it's the body of Christ. It's the body of Christ. Let's go on. Let's read 2 Peter, uh, first four verses together. It says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have tamed like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which uh, have been given to us exceedingly great 
and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You know, this is Peter. Um, uh, if you read a little bit further, you see that this is towards the end of his life, that God has shown him that he's about to die. But he says, I'm Peter, Simon Peter, a bondservant. We know that word doulos. It's the slave who said, I want to continue being a slave, pierce my ear, I have a choice for freedom, but I want to be a slave. And he's an apostle, that means the sent forth one. I don't believe that there's apostles in the, in the biblical apostolic sense where those 12 guys who knew Jesus face to face. But I believe there are apostles today, people that, in the sense that we are given that gift to be sent out, to go out and to, uh, and to do the work of the Lord, to be his uh, ambassadors, so to speak. Uh, because Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. And that's for us. So in a sense, again, I'm not saying we're apostles like you're Paul or I'm Paul, but that we have that apostolic uh, calling. But he says, who obtained like precious faith. That you and I, like Peter, like Paul, have obtained the same precious faith. That while I'm not Peter, and my life is not going to be fishing and the stories about Peter, but the faith and the, the spirit that dwells within me is the same spirit that dwells within Peter, it's the same spirit that dwells within you. And so you're going to have a precious faith, a faith that's precious to you, that's close to you. Think about how precious it was to Peter. When he denied the Lord, he weeped, he didn't think he had a future, and God said, feed my sheep, Peter. Feed my sheep. And Peter becomes one of the foundations of the, of the early church and the church at large. That That's precious to him. And I know you and me have been called out of things and God has saved us from things or healed us from things for a purpose and for a reason and deeper than that, that we might hold precious our faith with him. And he says with us that we're together in this together, that it's not every man for himself, but that we each have a faith and that precious faith comes together into one larger whole faith. And when that whole faith is working together, it's a beautiful thing because when it's, it's an individual faith, it's, that's where it needs to start. But if that's where it ends, I wonder... Is it even faith at all? Is it faith at all to say, God saved me, and your life to, to not be changed? God saved me, and your life to not be in a totally different direction than it used to be. Now, I'm not saying that you're, you know, being a bus driver to the, the last day on earth is not what God has for you. Maybe it is, but maybe it isn't. You know, I may be a graphic designer to the day I die. But even though I, like I shared with my boss, I'm like, I love my job. I want to be a good employee and do good work. But that's not my calling. Like, I have a deeper purpose. And, and, you know, he was totally, like, on board with it. You know, and I think it was cool. Um, but sincerely, that, you know, that we do these things, but that the gospel might be put forth. That our faith might be the thing that carries us through life. But he says, by the righteous, uh, righteousness of God our Savior, Jesus Christ. That it's not because we've been saved but that because he saved us, that he died on the cross for us, and that that's why we are called out and uh, why we can go forth in these things is because he saved us, not because we have any uh, righteousness of our own or any uh, resume of our own to say that I've done these things. You know, if you listen to the message, you see, like, look at Paul. Look at Paul's track record. He was a mass murderer, and God called him to, to spread the gospel and write most of the New Testament. He's like, don't you have a better track record than that? Don't you technically have a better call than that? And we say, well, no, God can't use me. Of course God can't use you if you don't think he can. You know, he can and he will and he wants to. Um, because he's not using you. He's doing the work. You just get to go along uh, for the ride. But he says that we have these exceedingly great and precious promises. You know, that, that we're made right and we've got the power. You remember that song? You got the power. You know, it's not this self-righteous thing, but we have the power of God in us. We're not the same as we used to be. We're not the same as the world. We're not the same as our family. And so often we try and make ourselves the same again, that they might accept us. We might try and make ourselves acceptable in the world's eyes, that we might, I don't know, that we might think that we're somehow impacting them, but that's not going to impact them. It's going to impact them is just saying, all right, well, this is what we've called, been called to do, and we're going to do it whether you agree with it or not, because we know that it's what God has for us. And again, that doesn't mean that you're not going to be open to correction or open to instruction or receive things, but that, man, we're going to live a different life because we have a different life, because we died with Christ and we rose with him. Let's go on, verse 5 through 11. Actually, one quick, that we escaped 
the corruption in the world through lust, that we escaped that past life. We escaped it. It's not just, oh, I'm saved, I'm different. It's escaped. That past life was death. And if we escaped it, it's like in prison. Like, you know, you escape prison, you're going to want to take off those prison clothes. You're going to want to get off those chains. You're going to want to change your appearance so that you don't look like the guy on the wanted poster. You escaped it. You want out of it. You know, if you're fleeing from a dictator, you're going, to, you know, you're going to want to shed any identity you have with that, that you might not be called back under it. And I think how often with Christians, we try and put on the identity that we used to have, or the identity of the world, to try and look like the world, to be accepted by the world, when we're not the world. We're the church. And the church is going to be different. The church is going to be hated. The church is not going to be understood. The church is going to be attacked. The church is not going to be a place of a country club. It's going to be a place of the gospel. It's going to be a place of blood and of nails and of the cross and of forgiveness and of redemption, but of a message that's not of this world. I've been reading Jeremiah a lot lately. And again, I remember listening, I listened to the car and I was kind of reading at night, you know, sometimes it's not you're tired, you don't always get it. But I was listening to the audio in the car from the Bible app and it's like, wow, I'm like, I never really heard Jeremiah like this before. I didn't realize it was him just talking like this before. And how God calls him to go stand in, the, in the, the gates of the temple and call everyone out. And Jeremiah's got the one message that's from God, and no one believes it. Every other pastor and preacher and prophet out there says, no one's going to hurt you. No one's going to harm you. The Babylonians aren't coming. We got it good. Keep doing what you're doing. And Jeremiah's like, God said, I'm done with you. God told me not to pray for you anymore because it's a lost cause. The Babylonians are coming. You're going to either be killed by the sword, by the famine, or by animals. That's it. Or you're going to go into captivity. Those are four choices. You think he was accepted? You think he got money from the other priests to go out and share that message? No. But he was sharing the truth of God. And I don't think any of us have had... Uh, you okay, sweetheart? Sweet from Mama? Okay, good. I don't think any of us have had a struggle like that. Let's go on and, and read this as uh, we'll get through to the end. It says, verse 5 says, But also for this very reason, Peter says, Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For, you, for so an entrance will be supplied you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, for this, for this reason, these things he just said and we just talked about, for this reason, we need to give all diligence. We need to add to our faith virtue and knowledge and self-control. But that we might not be barren or unfruitful. Because of these things, we've called out of the world. We're a different people now. We're God's people. We won't be barren or unfruitful. In due season, it says, if we do not give up, if we do not lose heart, we will, we will reap. But I wonder, are we short-sighted? You know, I realize my eyes lately, I am like more short-sighted than I've ever been in my entire life. Like I took up my glasses and I go, I can't see past here. <laughs> I'm short-sighted, but I'm not yet blind, thankfully. But are we short-sighted spiritually? Are we blind spiritually? Are we short-sighted? Can we not see the larger vision God has in store for us, for his people, for the church, for our area, for our family? You know, again, like I was talking about these ideals, a lot of the times it's just vision. You know, Paul has a vision of the Macedonian man. He gets there, there's no man, it's a bunch of women, and God does the work there. But are we short-sighted? Are we blind to what God is doing? Are we totally blind and just living up our own thing? And I don't think any one of us here are that. But he says, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten these things? Have you forgotten that you've been saved? That this Christian life is not a bill of goods. It's a different life. It's a life of struggle. But if we've forgotten, I think that's why we need to remember, why we talked about communion recently, that we need to remember these things. We need to remember where Jesus brought us from, and that that's a big deal. That whatever you look like before to now, that's a big deal. It's not a little thing. Oh, my testimony isn't this and that. Oh, God hasn't used me yet in this way or that way. 
bogus. He saved you. Your testimony is powerful. Who you are is powerful, not because of who you are, but because of who lives inside you. Jesus said, do not be afraid of the world or who's in the world. Why? Because I've overcome the world and I'm inside you. He who dwells in you is greater than he who's in the world. That we're not our own anymore, guys. We're not. I think the church, myself included, lives far too much of our lives like we're our own. Like we can call the shots on where we can go, where we can move, who we can hang out with, or what the call is on our life. This is the ministry that God has for me. Maybe not. Maybe not. I'm talking to a friend recently at a wedding. And he just, over a time period, God was getting putting verses on his heart and really changed the direction of ministry in his life. He ended up giving up all these things that he was involved with so that he could focus on one thing that was totally different. He says that he's so glad that he's been doing it. And I read Proverbs 20, 24. It says, man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? And so often we ask God, help me understand why you have me do this. Make this decision make sense in my life. But I think we're missing the point. Say, well, if God's asked me to do this, if God's told me to do this, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it hurts, even if I lose everything I care about and everyone I care about, I know God's asked me to do it. I need to do it. Because my goings are of the Lord. They're not of my own understanding. And I think far too often when we understand it, maybe it's not. We understand it first. I mean, it's like, maybe it's not the Lord. I think a lot of times we don't understand it. We say, okay, God, I don't understand it, but in faith I trust you. I'm going to step out on this word you give me or this calling or this leading that you have in my life. And then as you begin to obey, then the understanding comes. Then the knowledge comes because God desires obedience and not sacrifice. And I think if we understood it, we might make a sacrifice. Oh, I understand that I have to give this up in my life. Lord, I sacrifice it to you. But when we go, God, I don't know how you're going to provide if this happens. I don't know how you're going to provide if I lose my job, God. But, you know, if you want me to work at Costco, that's what I'll do. Because that's like the big employer out there. But if God has that, then that's fine. I just don't know how it's going to work. I don't know how it's going to work, and that's okay. But we need to be obedient because the reason why we don't grow in our faith is a lot of times is because we're not obedient to that faith. Because we don't hold that faith precious. We don't remember where God has brought us from. Because when I remember where God has brought me from, I go, I even said to my boss, I was like, bro, like I got saved like, uh, you know, 14 years ago and I can't do anything else. Like, this is, like, my life. Like, for what he did for me, how can I do anything else? And I haven't done anything, like, spectacular, but I know that I'm going to at least try and keep pursuing the spectacular for him because how could I do anything else? If I really believe he died on the cross for me and I really believe my sin is as gross as it is, why would I be doing anything different? How could I? With that, we're cleansed from our sins for a reason to fulfill a purpose, to fulfill a calling. And that's not the primary thing. God didn't save us and forgive us that we might do a work for him, that we might know him. But if we really know him, we're going to do work for him. That's why I said, depart from me. I never knew you. Fulfill a calling. You know, Philippians 3, uh, 12 17 says, Not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. And I've I know we've shared this a few times together, but let's listen to it. It says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. You know, even if you don't think this, think about it for a while, Lord, he'll show you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who still walk as you have for us a pattern. Paul says, join in following my example. Paul gave up everything. It doesn't mean that we need to go find a place to start up a riot and get killed. And then, you know, We don't need to follow it by the letter, but we need to follow his example. He gave up everything and he counted it all loss for the sake of Jesus. And I know that I haven't done that yet in my life completely. I want to do it more. And... Uh, what's the point of this life? Like, if you listen to those messages, it's like, how short is life? It's not going to matter. Where you lived in this life, it's not going to matter. What you did in this life, it's not going to matter. Eternity is so big. This life is so small, but the consequence and the ramifications of this life are forever. You know, it's not about 
quantity of life, it's about the quality of life. Like if you live 80 years, so what? Eternity is forever. You know, but was our life a life of obedience in uh, knowing him? But he says, therefore, we must be even more diligent. We must work hard. Again, I'm echoing some of the things that were said in these messages. But we've got to work hard. You know, we have a calling, you know, but we still need to fulfill it. We need to work to pursue it. You know, a lot of times we think, oh, we don't have to do anything in our faith, and it's just going to happen. Well, it's not just going to happen in a way. God will make the provision just come by. God will make the inspiration come by. God will make, you know, uh, you know, one man plants, another man waters, but God gives the increase. But we still need to do the planting. We still need to do the watering. We still need to do the obedience. You know, we're not, can't be, I'm a couch potato, and I don't want to be anymore. And we can't be couch potatoes in our faith. But he says, make your calling. And this word calling is klesis. It means a calling, a calling, a call. And this is interesting. It says, invitation to a feast of the divine. Invitation to embrace the salvation of God. And when God calls you, it's not a calling and a vocation. My job is not to preach the gospel. I, I love that I get to be able to do this and that anyone puts up for it for more than a few minutes. Even if it's just you guys, it's just you guys. And that's the biggest blessing. If I can walk away from here and say, you guys walk away with one thing from the Lord... It would have been worth it to me. And that's more, I don't, if, if no one ever hears me ever preach ever again, but if you guys hear it and hear something from the Lord, that's all I need to know. We were even praying like, man, if we go to Montana and it's just for one person, I know that's like a platitude, but like, how great would that be? And then uh, I was meeting with a, a friend, pastor friend the other day. He's like, well, he said something like that. And I was like, you know, like, why wouldn't we go if it's just one person? So often we want to say, well, I'll go if it's 100 people. I'll go if it's 200 people. I'll get up and I'll do this if it's for glory. But whose glory is it for? If God is telling me to do something and it doesn't make sense and it doesn't look like it makes sense, but God is telling me to do it, well, it makes sense. Because it makes sense to him. Because his thoughts are greater than my thoughts. His ways are greater than my ways. And who am I to say to the potter what to do with the clay, right? Who are we to say, God, no, no, that's not the best idea. You know, I remember being out there and uh, driving around and, you know, it's beautiful and it's a different environment and there are people. But I remember like, God, like, why would you call us to the country and not to like a more populated area? And I remember God saying to me, like, audibly in a sense, like, you know, what it speaks to you is just, uh, is the city more important than the country? Is a bunch of people more important than a few people? Not more important to God. God told David never to number the people. Do not count the people. It's not about how many people show up. It's about if Jesus is there. And if Jesus is there, I want to go there. Jesus took that big detour to that Samaritan woman. One woman. The disciples were like, we're getting out of here. There's no place to get something to eat. You want, you want something, Jesus? He goes, no, I got bread you know, that you don't even know about. I'm sustained by meeting this person here and doing what God has called me to do. And that's what God has for you and me, then that's, that's, that should be good enough. And I think so too often, even in Calvary, and I hear it from a lot of Calvary pastors, Calvary is about numbers. Who speaks to the conferences? Guys with large churches. And again, I'm not saying God's not using them. I'm not saying that God is not working through them. But do they ever ask the guy with, who's been faithful with the church of 30 people for 10 years? No, they don't know who he is. I'm not charged. I can't say what they're doing is right or wrong. All I can say is, well, it kind of looks like we're just about numbers. When you meet up with other people and they ask how church is going, they say, oh, it's great. We have 400 people or 200 people. Okay, that's great, but how's church going? How are the people? Not what's the problem in the office, what's going on here and there, but how are the people? Are the people okay? I heard this happen last year. Are the people okay? Do we hear that? Do we care about that? Because that's what a shepherd cares about. And again, I'm regurgitating the message about stuff that God's been speaking to us. And Hear it. You'll hear it out of his voice better than mine. But sincerely, I don't have it all together. I mean, you know, I can be wrong. I can be wrong about all this. I can be wrong about going to Montana. I can be wrong about God speaking to me about all this stuff and doing this. I can be wrong about this. And that's why I want to share this with you guys today. Because I want you to hear from the Lord about what your calling is. in large and whole but also what this is for you and for him. If he would have you continue to meet. You know, I've been praying, God, would you bring someone? Would you bring a pastor? It's been, I would love, my wife and I would love, I think it's the heart of God, for nothing greater than we meet here, 
And as we get ready to go, God brings someone to pastor. God raises up someone to pastor or to lead. Or you continue to meet and God brings someone. I would love for that. Because that means that God is doing something. That we said, oh yeah, it wasn't just for us to hang out, but it was for the Lord. And if it's not, well, it could be I was wrong. could be we were wrong. Or maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the people who are called to come, who say they'll come or talk about doing other things, maybe they're not being obedient. And maybe we were obedient and nothing happened because God's people didn't want it. You know, don't you think God wants a revival? Well, why doesn't it happen? I don't think it's because God's unwilling. And, I, you know, I don't claim any special insight here. I'm just trying to think about it logically. God wants to do work and bring a revival. It doesn't happen because we don't pray. We don't say, God, forgive us our sin. God, I am willing to step out and go to a coffee shop in the morning. I am willing to go and meet with college students. Or I am willing to go and talk to my coworkers. Or I am willing, whatever it is, we're not just willing to do the next thing that God has for us. No matter what other people think about it. We're not, we want comfort. We want the free mug. We want the perfect worship experience. We want our parking space. We want Sundays and then go back to it every other day of the week. I don't think it's what God wants. I don't see that in the scripture. I don't hear that when I hear men of God talking. I don't see that happening in China. I just don't see the scriptures. And, and I'm wrong about a lot of things in life, but I, I don't believe I'm wrong about this. I know God wants to do work, but are we willing to let him? I want to be willing to let him. And I think we're not willing to let him a lot of times because it hurts. Because we lose a lot of things that we love. Jesus lost a lot. He lost his family. He lost his friends. But not forever. He knew doing that would gain them. Satan tempted him with the world. Tempted him with all the cities of the world. And he said, no, I'm going to be obedient to the Father. And God's given him everything of the world. This word election, ekloge, you know, I'm not a Greek scholar, but it reminds me of ek, or ex meaning out of, and loge meaning the word. I don't know if that's right, but that's what it reminds me of, perhaps it's out of the word. But it means the act of picking out, the act of choosing, the act of God's free will by which the foundation, by which before the foundation of the world, he decreed his blessings to certain persons. The decree made uh, from by choice, by which he determined to bless certain persons through Christ by grace alone. A thing or person chosen or person. God's elect. You are God's elect. God chose you not because he had to, but because he wanted to. And if you're chosen, how are we living like? Do we believe it? That God would choose you? I think that's the biggest struggle. We believe only God is going to choose certain people, but he's chosen all of us. I know God's chosen me to speak his word. If no one believes me, that's fine. If I'm never good at it, that's fine. I know God's chosen me to do this. Until he tells me otherwise, until he shows me otherwise, I'm going to keep doing this. Whether it's just us, I'm thankful that you guys are here. I'm grateful that you guys are here and willing to hear and think that maybe God might speak through this person. I hope he does. But we need to be willing, especially in these last days, because the longer we go on, the less it's going to be like, the less it's going to be approved even among the house of God. Now, I'm not telling you what your call is. I have no idea what your call is. I know that it's to heaven. I know that if you weren't saved, which you are, it would be to get saved. But what I do know is that you are called. The role of a pastor or teacher is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To equip them. It's not to say, this is your job, you must do it. Yeah, if you come to me looking for something to do, I'll say, I don't know, we don't do anything here. <laughs> you know, whatever. But sincerely, you know, in the larger body, it's, it's not the shepherding movement. Can I buy this car? Can I do this? Should I do this ministry? God's put it on your heart. Go and do it. Go and do it and see if there's fruit in it. See if God's hand is in it. See if God's provision's in it. You know, it doesn't mean you need to get a, a badge or a name or anything. And again, not that there's anything wrong with the corporate corporate. As a whole, and the organization as a whole, I think that those things are necessary. Um, but I think sometimes we rely on them 
instead of uh, the Spirit. You know, if God wants, if you want, if God's putting a heart to do home Bible study, do it. You don't need approval. Now, if you want to start a church with a certain name on the church, yeah, you need approval from that certain body. Does it mean everyone goes and does their own thing? No, because, you know, God wants to do something here. I know that I'm not the man for the long run here. God wants to do something here. He'll bring someone here to set up all that stuff. I just want to teach the Word of God. But again, I'm not telling you that you are called. I'm telling you I'm that what your call is, but that you are called and that you are elect. I don't know what office God has for you to be elected and do, so to speak. But you're elected. You're elected. God votes for you. Jesus stands up for you in heaven and says, I choose you. You know? I choose you. These things I put on your heart, they're on your heart because I chose you to put them on your heart. You're broken over this. I chose you to be broken over this. You feel a calling or propensity to do this because I chose you to do this. You're feeling a calling or propensity to do this. No one else is going to see that right away. Because how can they see it? God and you, that personal relationship between you and him, he's the one who sees you. He's the one who sees you from beginning to end for who he made you to be. He's the one who plants that in you. And as you begin to call that out, then other people will see it. After a long time, if no one sees anything or you don't see any fruit in it, well then, definitely start to consider, God, you know, am I doing the right thing or not? You know, you must seek Jesus for what the call is. For the larger call, but also for the everyday call. You know, I'm crazy, I know that. <laughs> Maybe this is God's will. Maybe you're called to this. Maybe you're not. And again, the need is not the call. You know, like, if we felt that the need was the call, we wouldn't leave. But as we thought about God, about do we stay here? We've been open to staying here, open to go back to Maryland, open to going to Montana. What did you have to do? God's made it clear that our season here is coming to an end. And our time here is coming to an end. Because it's not up to us to make things happen. Even if we wanted to, I don't know that people would believe it from us. People look at us sometimes and think that we're associated with things that we're not associated with. Or that even if it's just the sense that God wants to do a new work here, perhaps we've represented old work to some people and God can't use that. God can't use that old wineskin. God wants to do a new work and a new wineskin. It's got to be the Lord who does it. And I just ask you, I'm praying for you, seek him. Seek him this week specifically. Spend this week to seek him for your own personal. Not even for this. If this is, if you eventually get to praying for this, great. But seek him for the personal call in your life. And if this is a call for you, you know, John ten twenty seven says, "My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me." I just want to share with you something real quick as we close. Okay. This is a, a joke. This is from my pastor friend in Maryland. I joked him. I was like, you got to make a book of all these things right now. Like, you could charge this. <laughs> but it's seven things when making a decision. And I can email it to you later if you can write down. But when considering a decision, he says, ask yourself, number one, how will this affect my relationship and service to the Lord? I'll text it to you later because it's probably going to be a lot to, to write. But how will this affect my relationship and service to the Lord? Point two. Has this desire stood the test of time? Have you been praying about it for a long time? You know, because a lot of times we'll just get on a whim and do it, and then, well, you know, God wants me to do this, and then you forget about it. God, I, never, I don't remember that, you know. But is it continually on your heart? Have you been praying about it? Has it continued to stand up to that? Number three, am I striving or trying to force or to make something happen? Because God, we don't need to make something happen. If God's doing something, he's going to do it. A lot of times when we strive, we need to step back. Number four, who am I really doing this for? And I think this one is probably one of the hardest ones to discern. Who am I doing this for? Know that the heart is wicked and deceitful, but God knows the heart. God tries the hearts. That's one of our biggest things with Montana was, is this us? You know, we like the idea of it. We like the country. We like the nature. I like the laws. You know, I like being away from nuclear strike areas. <laughs> like, it's just joking, half joking. But sincerely, it was like, well, who am I doing this for? You know, before I got saved, I thought about being a missionary and going to wherever, and I want to go to Montana and go hiking. So it's like, is this the Lord or not the Lord? And the more we saw him, it just, it seems to be clear that it is the Lord. And if I find out tomorrow that's not, well, then call me crazy, and at least I got over being crazy. But if it is, call me crazy. I'd rather be crazy for him. You know, I got called crazy for doing things in the world. I want to be called crazy for him. 
Number five, does it align with the word? Does, does this desire, does this calling, does this decision align with the word in, in large, but also to what God has been speaking to you personally in your devotional time, the things he's spoken to you by Rama? Number six, please give me a word to stand on. When you ask, say, God, give me a word to stand on. Remember, God told us to flee to the mountains, the valley of the mountains. And right away I knew that was Montana, and yet I didn't see any open doors in Montana, so I thought, well, maybe it's the Hudson Valley of the mountains. But never really sat right, and that's why I couldn't escape it, because God gave me that word, and so we've been seeking it, and he's given us others as well. Number seven, I think this should be always, in a sense, the final one, because godly counsel is good, but we should have God's counsel and then seek godly counsel. But what does godly counsel say? What does godly counsel say? You are called and elect to something. Like I said before, to know God, to walk with him, but really to be his body, to be the church. The church's body. Think about when Jesus walked on earth. It was God in man, 100% walking around and doing things. There was one of him, and yet he left and said, I give you the Holy Spirit. Now there's one, two, three, four, five... Hopefully six, seven, eight. You know how many, if I'm counting right in this room, of him, full of the same spirit. Shouldn't we be walking around doing the same things, doing our father's business? I think things would be different. And not that we believe that in some David Koresh. That's like, I'm Messiah, but like, humbly and gently, pursuing that precious faith. I'm gonna read one more thing to you, and we'll close. I have it here. Okay. So many good things. I think I emailed it to myself. Oh, yeah. Sorry, it's in my. I thought I saved the note, but I gotta look it up. It's from uh, Disciples Indeed. It's just a random footnote that they put at the bottom of the devotional. If I refresh the page, it'll be gone. But it says uh, to read the Bible. According to God's providential order in your circumstances is the only way to read it, vis-a-vis in the blood and passion of personal life. A lot of times we read the scriptures, we learn the scriptures, and we should learn them. I'm not saying there's not a reason for academic teaching or study or personal growth that's important. We need to know, we need to know that we're understanding scriptures, what they actually say. What we're saying is we need to read them in the light of personal life daily with the Lord. If we're not coming to it and say, God, speak to me, show me from my personal life how this applies to me, what's the point? We're going to be educated, but we're going to be dead. And I know that's not you, I know that's not me, I know that's not what God has for us, but sincerely, may God bless you, may God make his calling and election sure in your life, but we need to have a part in that, and I need it in my life as well. So God, would you, uh, God, continue to do what you're doing to speak what you're speaking to each one of us. God, we long to see what you did in these days, in the days of Acts, be alive in our day, that as we meet together in this place of business, we thank you for it. We thank you for Paul and his family and the ownership, and we pray you bless them for it, that even though they might not know you, God, they're seeking to honor you by being closed on Sundays and open to us. We thank you for that. But God, as we meet here, we don't want it to be an academic exercise. We don't want it to be just hanging out. And I know that it's not. And even if we go away and this is it, I know that you've got you've used it, at least in our lives, and I pray you use it in, in all of us, God. But would you work like an axe? Would you raise up people to lead your people to you? Would you let your word continue to go forth? Would you bring a pastor or many people, God, to come here and be a part of something that you're doing? If this is you for the long run, if that's your vision, God, and not our vision, and that, God, you would get the glory. And God, that other people would come and see and, and hear and taste that, and know that you're good. And that God, people would be healed. And God, people would be saved from their sin and from uh, the destruction. And uh, God, just the world that we all escaped by your blood. So God, help us keep escaping that. Keep running away from that and running towards you, knowing that we're on a mission. Uh, but God, would you provide for that? And God, as, as long or as short as this life is, we know that eternity is longer. And help us run as far and fast as we can in this life that God I know that even if we were to never see each other in this room again that on earth that God will have eternity together and that's that's worth it
worth it to lose each other for a little amount of time that we might gain each other for eternity, God. So bless my family and friends here. Speak to them each um, according to your word. And God, let them see and hear straight from you what you have for them. Thank you, God. Me as well, my family as well. We need you, God. Thank you, Lord. Bless this day. Bless the church. Bless them as they go on uh, this afternoon. And uh, just work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.